Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Uh, We've been on this great little uh, adventure through the gospel of Mark. Uh, So don't you enjoy this fall weather? This is, enjoy it because it'll be gone in probably about an hour. So Uh, we're in Mark 10 and in Mark chapter 10, uh, Jesus, as you know from last week, had a conflict with the Pharisees and uh, and that's uh, something that he, I think, is wanting to contrast here with this next section. And you know, I, I read this week um, about a pediatrician who was moved to tears when he read about Jesus' advocacy for children. I don't know if this guy is a believer or not. I tried to find out, and I could find no evidence of that online, but here's what he wrote, which I think is fascinating. Um, Independent of whether you believe in the existence of God, you have to be impressed with the man described as Jesus of Nazareth. At the time of Jesus' life, one historian, and this is still this man saying this, said that child abuse was the crying vice of the Roman Empire. Infanticide was common. Abandonment was common. Uh, And that's because children were property. They were no different than slaves. And he goes on and says, uh, but Jesus stood up for kids and cared about them when those around him typically didn't. And then he concludes by saying, the single greatest breakthrough against child abuse in history is Christianity. The first Christian emperor, Constantine of Rome, outlawed infanticide in 315 and provided an early form of welfare in AD 321 so that poor families would not have to sell their kids. You know, think of all that we have going on in our world today. It, it, it doesn't compare to um, the first through the third centuries. Uh, the passage today is about Jesus and children. And um, I, I just want to start with a question. How many of you, and this is a show of hands, have been involved in education. So just wait, wait, wait on the hands yet, okay? So I, I just want to, I want to, because here's who I'm including in that. I'm including um, parents who homeschool. If, if you are or have been a teacher or an administrator, um, or if you are retired but were that, uh, and so preschool to grad school. How many teachers are those involved in education? Now, show of hands. Look around. That's a lot of hands. Um, You know what? I I think that one of the reasons for that, and again, I'm not trying to say your motivation, but I I think that there are some distinctly Christian vocations. I, I think education is one of those. Another one of those that comes to my mind is, is healthcare, medicine. Uh, we're caring, you're caring for the most vulnerable. You're caring for those who need to be cared for. Um, and so it's, it's not surprising that we have so many that are involved in education on one level or another. 
Um, another show of hands here, and again, hang on just a second here. How many of you have been involved in in uh, working with our children, Awana, in, in the past or the present? Uh, show of hands there. Look around. Look at, about as many hands as were up for the, the education in general. And, and you know, it's, we're grateful. Thank you uh, for, for being involved in ministry with our children. It's, it's just so important. Um, so Jesus communicates to us in these verses that he values children, the most vulnerable among us, and in some ways wants us to imitate them. So let's read our passage, Mark chapter 10, Uh, verses 13 through 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will, not receive the, uh, who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. This is God's word. So at the top of your outline, and I hope you all have an outline, it says this, the disciples considered children to be an annoying distraction. However, Jesus valued children so highly because they model what it takes for someone to come to God. They know what it is to be humble and dependent. And so we are not to be like the Pharisees, like in the last section, the first part of chapter 10, having pride in ourselves and our own righteousness, but to be like children, to humble ourselves, acknowledge our sin, and put our complete trust and dependence in God. So Mark begins in verse 13, telling us that people were bringing little children to Jesus. He doesn't specify who, it says people. Uh, As best we can gather, it was parents. Maybe it was older siblings bringing the younger ones, but uh, they were bringing young ones, maybe babies. Again, we don't know exactly. as was done in the Old Testament times, to bless them, uh, to pronounce a blessing over there, to place their hands, to place Jesus' hands on probably their head and to to pronounce a blessing on them. And the disciples uh, were like Jesus' handlers. And they saw, that's why they saw the children as being annoying. They were bothered by anybody uh, who would be unimportant and children definitely fell into the category of the unimportant. And so while Jesus was blessing the children, the disciples were sending parents with children away with a rebuke to not bother Jesus. And for the disciples, it was just a matter of priority. Children weren't contributing anything to Jesus becoming the earthly king that they knew he was, they thought they knew that he was going to become. Uh, And it was like they were saying, hey, Jesus is a very man, uh, a very busy man, so take your stroller, your kids, and just move right along. You know, don't don't bother the master. Um, You know, you can tell a lot about a person uh, when you find out what gets them angry 
uh, or what gets them down. And this is the only time in the New Testament that this Greek word uh, indignant is used here in the New Testament. And it's made up of two Greek words which literally mean much and to grieve. And so Jesus was much grieved, literally, when the disciples responded like they did by sending these children away. So the first thing that we see here about Jesus, and this is number one on your outline, is that Jesus loves and elevates children. Jesus loves and elevates children. Uh, Verse 14, he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. You know, think about this. We know that we all have access to God. But, but I think that it's easy for it to creep in that, that uh, some people just don't have access to God for whatever reason, uh, or children don't. We just think that, that we have access to God, but um, that others just might not have the same access we do. Uh, it's just a pride thing is what it boils down to. Um, you know, I read one time about a, a, a Civil War soldier who had lost his father and his brother in the war. And it was harvest time and his mother was all alone and he knew that he needed to be home and, uh, and help with the harvest. His mom couldn't do it. And so he went to his captain, asked for an exemption to be able to leave and go home. And they said, you know what, I can't give you that. You're gonna need to go to someone higher up and ask them. And so um, he said, I'll give you a furlough so you can go to Washington and, and ask somebody there. So this man went to Washington, D.C. and knocked on doors, even the door of the White House, and he kept getting turned away. And he, this, this, don't bother us, you're not gonna find any answers here, he just kept getting these closed doors, literally and figuratively. Um, and so he was pretty down and, and was sitting on a, a bench and a little kid walked up to him and said, what's wrong? And he said, could see that this guy was kind of teary-eyed and, and uh, there was no one else around that would listen to this guy. And so this kid listened to him and, and uh, he said, hey, follow me, I think I might be able to help you. And so this, he follows this kid and they go to the White House and he walked in and right into the president's office and, and Abraham Lincoln said to his son, Todd, Todd, what can I do for you? And Todd said, I met this man and he needs help. And the president gave him the exemption that he needed to go home and help his, help his mom. But you know, that's the access that we have before God. Do we take advantage of that access? Children have access to their father and in the same way, all children, all of us have access to God. We can come boldly before the throne of God and talk to him. And so are we taking advantage of that? Are we doing that? Are we encouraging even our children to do that? To, t- to, to teach them to take advantage of being able to come before the, the, the father and talk to him. And that's the same access that we have. And man, we just need to take advantage of that and know that that we can do that. Um, Jesus loves and elevates children like he does us to walk right into the throne room of his father. When Jesus says, do not hinder them, those are sobering words. 
Jesus believes that young people can know him and truly have an authentic relationship with him. Uh, And I think sometimes we downplay that to the children's detriment. The, The disciples sending kids away actually caused Jesus to become righteously angry about this. He was not happy. Jesus ordered the disciples to let the children come to him. And because they were an ideal illustration of genuine discipleship, genuine humility, and we'll talk about why here, but, but they are that great example. And, and not because they were innocent. You know, you've dealt with seven-year-olds or whatever long enough to know they're not innocent kids. Um, but the youngest among us are generally incapable of pretense. You know, that's maybe sometimes to their detriment, but oftentimes to their advantage. Uh, Kids don't have a lot of hesitation. More importantly, and this is on your outline, kids come to God empty-handed because they come to their fathers, they come to us as parents empty-handed. They have nothing to offer us. They're messy. They're completely needy. They only know how to reach out and receive help. And that's exactly what God wants us to do, to reach out to him, to receive help from him. Jesus loves and elevates these young ones. And so how do we love our kids? What's the best way for us to love our kids? And I know that there are great resources out there. One of the best ones I know that I think every parent should read is How to Really Love Your Child by Ross Campbell. Uh, I can save you buying the book, but the book is really good and I'm not gonna be able to do it justice. Uh, But Ross Campbell is a Christian. He's a medical doctor. He's a psychiatrist working with primarily children. And uh, he says that, and this is on your outline, that the way you really love your kids is three ways. Eye contact. When we're talking with someone, you know you can't, you know, we, have, we make fun of staring into somebody's eyes. Let's have a stare out, you know, stare into someone's eyes. See who looks away first or blinks first. But what he's saying is that we naturally look away. So you just maintain eye contact with your kids. You let them look away. But you maintain the eye contact with them. And then, and what's happening when you're doing that is they're filling up their emotional tanks. That's the way he describes it in the book. And then appropriate physical contact. Um, You you know, we all love to give our kids hugs. So he says, as a parent, don't break the hug. You let the child break the hug. Because as long as they're holding on, they're filling up their emotional tank. I said this one time in a sermon when my kids were in the congregation, and, uh, and when I'd go to hug my kids, they wouldn't let go <laughs> for a long time. You said, Dad, I'm filling up my emotional tank. <clears throat> I'm like, okay, let's, we can stand here for a while. <clears throat> the next one is, <clears throat> excuse me, is focused attention. In other words, without a phone, without a magazine, without the TV going, focused attention where you're listening, really paying attention to your kids. You know what I find, actually, is this not only applies to kids, but obviously grandkids, but it applies to everyone. It applies to your spouse, it applies to your friend. It, it, all these things apply to everyone. 
But this is how Ross Campbell says how you can really love your child. And he has other books, how to really love your grandchild, he has. How to really love your adult child, how to really love your troubled child. He has a whole series of these books, all of them are excellent. And he's teamed up with Gary Chapman, who wrote The Five Love Languages, and they've written The Five Love Languages of Children together. Um, So great books that I would highly recommend to you. So in verse 14, Jesus elevates the spiritual capacity of the littlest among us for all of us to see, for the church to see. And then the second thing that we observe here in, in, about Jesus, number two, is that he affirms and respects the spirituality of children. Jesus says, and if you wanna underline one verse in your Bible, this is it. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Jesus is clear that children have a spiritual competence that we should never belittle. And I think sometimes we do, we tend to. It's, I think, maybe human nature. But, man, if there was ever a passage that was relevant to child evangelism, this is it. I think that it goes without saying that Jesus wants there to be no question that children can authentically come to faith. Um, Eleanor Cooper is a name that some of you will recognize, but many of you will not. Uh, But she was um, a a woman who was uh, a missionary, kind of a home missionary, not the way we really use the word today, but uh, she was doing child evangelism. She worked with an organization called Child Evangelism Fellowship. And she would do clubs in backyards. She would have a, a booth at the Del Mar Fair, the San Diego Fair, and she would share uh, with kids uh, a wordless book. How many of you are familiar with the wordless book? Some of you are. I'll tell you about it here. It's pretty cool. I did not know that it was C.H. Spurgeon who came up with the wordless book. And uh, he had three colors initially, and, and the colors were black, and you've got them on your outline, uh, black and red and white. And then it was D.L. Moody who came along and added gold. And you can see what they're all for, uh, but they tell a story. And you don't have to be an intellectual to receive the gospel. Uh, but it, man, this is the way to make it clear, just to, to take this wordless book and explain that, that black is, represents our sin, that like Romans 3.23, we're all separated from God. We're all sinful, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And then <clears throat> what is the remedy? Well, the remedy is the red, the blood of Christ. It was shed for our sins so that we don't have to pay the penalty ourselves. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. And then the, the white means that, like Isaiah 118, that our sins have been washed away that before God that were whiter than snow. And, and wow, what a, a joy that is to have that. And then the gold is what was added to represent heaven. That was what D.L. Moody added. Uh, there were a couple of other organizations that came along and added a couple other colors, green for spiritual growth, blue for baptism. Um, but the main colors are these colors. Um, you know, I, I, one of the, I mean, there's so many things I love about being a pastor. Uh, But one of the things I love is when parents come to me and bring their children and say, you know what, my children have been asking about baptism. 
And man, how exciting is that? You know, when the kids come to the parents and say, I really want to be baptized because they've seen it, because they've heard about it, because they know that's the, what, what, the biblical example that, that they want to follow. And, um, you know, it's really fun. I have more confidence in the sincerity of, of, of their faith than I do in the sincerity of some of the adults that come and want to be baptized. I, you know what? They're all sincere, but I, the, the kids are wonderful to talk to. And, and they have a, a deep understanding that I think goes way beyond their age uh, to get baptized. We just recently baptized some in the ocean uh, a, cu- a couple months ago that, that were seven, eight, nine years old. And man, it was just really a, a special time. Um, I've also baptized those as old as I think about 92 maybe. So there's a big range of those who get baptized. But this was, it's pretty special when kids come. Um, you know, we've had kids who... Uh, are, are part of Awana and go home and review their verses with their parents and their parents have come to Christ, come to faith as a result of reviewing verses with their kids for Awana. So God uses children even to lead parents to the Lord sometimes. Um, you know, I, I'm gonna do a show, of, this is a show of hands sermon. So uh, how many of you came to faith when you, let's say you were college age or younger? How many of you came to faith yeah, the vast majority of you. Okay. So how many of you came to faith when you were under, say, 12? Show of hands. Look at that. Man, that's, that's huge. Um, you know, I, I saw some statistics, and, you know, there are two people in the world. There are people that use statistics and people who don't. So I'm one that, I guess, does. So uh, one statistic that I saw was that, like, one out of, I don't know how many, one out of five or six or something like that, can be, that, that come to faith come when they're young, like under 12, under 11. And something, it was ridiculous, one out of a half a million or more come to faith when they're like 70 or over. The bottom line is that we need to invest in our kids. They're so important. Um, so what an encouragement for parents and, and grandparents this passage is. Uh, to, to, to teach our kids, to love on our kids, to pray for them, not ever give up praying for our kids. I, I love that some of our overseers serve with children. Uh, so, you know, we have seven overseers. Uh, the permanent overseers are Nathan and myself and Pastor Eloy. Um, but then we also have Dan Naus, who works with our high school age. Uh, we have John Kirk, who's overseeing the coffee ministry and the donuts, and you can thank him for that. And we have Paul Champlin, and Paul is teaching a fifth grade Sunday school class. And, um, and what, what a, a joy that is. Paul, just in talking with him, said, um, uh, he, he said, I love it when the kids have those aha moments when the light bulb goes off. He said the material that Susan has put together is just excellent. And he said it's so fun to, 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 to get to know them, to get to know their parents, uh, but to be able to communicate with these kids is really a joy. Um, Jim Taylor, who is a former overseer, uh, works, has worked with, with kids and with Awana. Jim Anderson, who's a current overseer, works with Awana and works with our children. And I think that sets a great example for us as a church that our overseers are highly invested in our youngest because that is our future. 
These are the people that we, that these children are the ones we want to love and, 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 and teach and train and, and let them know what God's word says. Um, I heard one time that D.L. Moody was uh, preaching and, and he came back and was staying with somebody and he said to his host, well, I had two and a half people come to Christ and they kind of laughed and said, you mean two adults and a child? He said, no, I mean two children and one adult. <laughs> Because the child, the kids have their whole lives in front of them. The adult has already wasted half of his life. (laughs) I thought that was pretty good. You know, one of the things that we as a church recognize is that someone uh, who is as healthy as a Christian as possible is involved in ministry. You can't just be a sponge that soaks it all up. You know what a sponge is like that has water that never gets squeezed out after a while? It kind of stinks. Um, no implications there, but I, what I'm saying is that we need to be squeezed out all the time. We need to be filled up and constantly squeezed out, and that happens through ministry. Um, and, and, and maybe you don't have a ministry. Maybe you're looking for a ministry. But if you would, or if you're looking for a ministry, or specifically, if you would like to have a ministry with our children, I asked Susan, I asked Timothy about needs that they have right now working with our children. And Susan gave me a list uh, this week. And it's usually just serving once or twice a month. Um, you can come to the first worship service like you are here today, and then go and um, serve during the second worship service. That's when our children's ministries happen for the most part. Um, And as more and more families are coming back, we need more and more people to open more classrooms. We have over 100 kids. How many are in Awana? Over 100 kids? 76 so far, but pre-COVID we had over 100 and we have over 100 kids right now who are involved in one level or another on Sunday mornings. That's a lot of kids. Uh, and, and, and we need, like we already have a, a bunch of folks that are doing that, which is great. Um, but as more and more families are returning, we're looking for, for that we have upcoming needs. And to open all the classrooms and for safety purposes, uh, we need two adults in each class. And so right now, Susan is looking for eight adults there to be there to assist and help lead, four people to help with media, four teachers, and she trains everybody to do what they need, and one person to help with special needs kids. Um, and Timothy, for one, is still looking for one person to teach a seven-minute lesson to preschoolers, and two hallway monitors to be there on Wednesday evening for Awana for their safety. So I just want you to know that these opportunities exist. And if you're already doing something, all the hands that were raised, thank you. And if you don't have a ministry or you're looking for an opportunity, this is a great one. Um, And so in verse 15, we also see that Jesus, this is number three, elevates the faith of children. Truly I tell you, again, the same verse, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. The word translated never is very strong. One commentator, a man named William Lane, Uh, wrote this about verse 15. This solemn pronouncement is directed to the disciples, okay? Think of Jesus saying that to you and to me. Um, But is appropriate for everyone who is confronted by the truth of the gospel because it speaks of the condition for entrance 
into the kingdom of God. So here's the message, and this is on your outline. No one will get into the kingdom of God unless he or she receives God's salvation like a child. No one. No one. So how do we receive salvation like a child? We have to understand what Jesus did as our substitute and then realize that that relates to me personally. So, you know, there are several bridges that go across the Potomac River in Washington, D.C. And one of them is called the Arland D. Williams Bridge. And here's why. Uh, 1982, there was an Air Florida flight, some of you might remember this, Flight 90, that took off from Washington National Airport on the way to Florida that had ice on the wings. That's not a good thing. The plane lost altitude and hit the bridge and went into the river. And when the helicopter rescue uh, helicopter arrived, uh, there were a few people who had obviously survived and were out on the tail of the airplane. And um, one of them was this Mr. Williams who was waving for help. And they pulled, um, uh, they set down a lifeline to him. And when they pulled it up, uh, somebody else was on the other end of it, not Mr. Williams. Sent it down a second time, third time, fourth time fifth time. Every time they brought it up, somebody else, not Mr. Williams, was on the end of it and was, his life was saved. And the last time they sent it down, Mr. Williams was gone. He gave his life for those people. That's what he did. He substituted himself and gave others his place of deliverance. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. Uh, Mr. Williams took the destruction that was coming on all of them. And that's how it relates to us personally. Uh, other religions say God loves you, uh, but they can't prove it. There's nothing they can do to prove it. Christianity can prove it because Jesus did that for us. That's the proof that God loves us. You know, I, I've been with people before they die. They never once have said to me, will you bring my college diploma so I can look at it one last time? They never once have said, can you just have my wife bring my bank statement to me? I just want to see it one last time. They never say that. What do they want? They want their family around them. They want their children around them. They want their friends around them. They want family around them. And what happens when we come to faith is that, and, and look down at verse 45 in, in Mark chapter 10. We've said before that this is the key verse in all of Mark. We're coming up to it. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 talks about Jesus giving his life as a ransom for many. So that, what that does is when we realize that, it breaks through our selfishness. It breaks through our pride. It liberates us so that we can care like Jesus talks, like it, Paul talks about Jesus in Philippians chapter two, that, they, that Jesus it, it was concerned for other people and, and it gets our eyes off of ourself. And so how do we connect with this personally? 
We have to become like a little child. That's what he's saying here. So again, what does that mean? He's not saying you need to become childish. No, but you need to become like a little child. So first of all, on your outline, it means that like children, we're dependent. Children are dependent. They're helpless. And this is how we come to Jesus. You have to know not just that Jesus died to pay your debt, like Mr. Williams in that example, but you have to rely completely on what he did to give you salvation. We bring nothing before God. We have to trust him completely. You know, think about the way kids come when they know they're gonna be punished. They, they generally don't come in negotiating. They don't come in and say, well, you know, if you do this and I do this. and No, they come crying for mommy and daddy. They, they come crying for mercy, <laughs> not justice maybe. <clears throat> they need grace. Uh, they're helpless, they're dependent. They need everything from us. Every child, which means everyone. So now he's, I'm talking to everyone here, about you and me, who's born into the kingdom, enters it helpless. We enter it knowing that everything must be done for us. That's really hard for us to do. Every child, everyone comes before God. We don't come before God negotiating. We don't come before God and say, Lord, if, look at all that I've done. Now you do this for me. No, we don't come to God that way. It's like the song, nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling. And so the kingdom of heaven, and this is on your outline, is for the weak and helpless, not the entitled and the self-righteous. The weak and the helpless. And at the same time, and this is the next one, children expect to be accepted. They expect to be accepted. They expect to be loved. Um, last week, Kathy got to be in Kansas City with our two grandkids, and our two-year-old uh, little granddaughter, Lucy, walks into the room, sure that everybody is interested in what she has to say, even though we can't understand anything she says, <laughs> or very little. Um, <clears throat> Kathy asked her if she wanted Kathy to sing a song to her, and Kathy sang a song, and then she said, you may sing another song, and she said, yes. And Kathy was like, oh, is it this one? And Kathy kept guessing, and, and, and finally Lucy started crying because Kathy didn't understand her. And then miracle of miracles, Kathy remembered that, the, that our son used to sing the, 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 the uh, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And show, she said, is that the one? And she nodded, yes, <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> but Lucy has no awareness of her social status. She knows she's gonna be accepted. She's sure that everyone will find her completely interesting. And that's the confidence and the boldness that God wants us to have before him, that we're accepted by him. Don't ever think that God doesn't love you. I, I talk to people who say, you know what, God can't love me because of all the bad that I've done. Where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. God does love you. 
So here's what we need to see. Here's, here's how we need to be childlike in the kind of way Jesus is talking about here. If you have too high a view of yourself, then you're not dependent like a child. You're not spiritually childlike. And on the other hand, if you have too low a view of the love of Jesus for you, you're not spiritually childlike. If you're always thinking that you're the best or you're always beating yourself up, you haven't seen your value to Jesus. And so the next thing you have on your outline is what the cross does is to show us we're valued at our worst. Think about that. Here's what I mean by that. You know, if somebody walks up to you and says, you're the kindest person in the world, you go, wow, thank you for that. That means a lot. And you'll be great for an hour or a couple hours or whatever. That'll make you feel great. But if your spouse says that same thing to you and they've seen you at your worst and they've experienced you at your worst, And they don't just know you're selfish in general. They know you're selfish because they've experienced your selfishness. Maybe, for example, your spouse doesn't just know that you punish people by emotionally withdrawing from them. They know it because you've emotionally withdrawn from them. And so think about this. Your spouse or your roommate or your friend comes up to you, they've seen you at your worst, they know everything about you, and and yet they tell you, you know what, I I love you, I think you're a kind person. Wow, That'll, that'll make your life, that'll make your day, your week, your year, when your spouse says that to you. And that's like, on the cross, that's what God says to us. God says, I've seen you at your worst, Nothing you've ever done is hidden from me. I've seen you at at your worst and the, the stuff that you've done even to me and yet at the very same moment, God says to us, I know everything about you and yet look at how much I love you. Look at the cross and look at how much I love you and how how valuable you are to me. And you know what? I'm the only one that counts. It's just my word that counts for all eternity. And so if you're too proud a person or you beat yourself up too much, you're not childlike yet. And the power of the cross cannot come into your life. And that's what God wants to do. That's the power of the cross. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. I'm crucified with Christ. George Whitefield was one of the most famous evangelists of the 18th century and sometimes he would preach about whatever, he'd preach about the blood of Christ and then he would say at the end of his sermon, go and learn what this means. The blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. And what he's saying is that there's so little time I have to preach about this and talk about this, it's not enough time. So you need to go home and think about it deeply. And, and, This is the one thing we need in our lives is to know the power of of the blood of Christ in our lives and the power of the cross and the love of God for us and to become childlike in in our response. And so 
Again, back to verse 45, he gave his life as a ransom for many. We need to come to God empty-handed, and most of us can't do that. We want to bring, we want to say, look at all I've done for you, God. Look at how faithful I've been in church. Look at how much I read my Bible. Look at how much I pray. So then why do you bring this into my life? No, we, can, we don't negotiate with God. We come empty-handed before him. We, we, we want to come with all these things that we've done. But children, that's us, know that they're completely and utterly dependent on God. And so this morning, I, I, I'll say the same thing to you as George Whitfield. I'll say, think a lot of this week about what it means to respond with the faith of a child to Jesus giving his life as a ransom for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, will you please give us what we need to grow in grace? We need to understand not just that Jesus died, but why he died. And then to understand why he died once we do to connect it through spiritual childlikeness to our own lives. And some of us here, Lord, are actually too confident. We look at ourselves and we think we're pretty good. We don't have the power of the cross in our lives. And some of us here are always beating ourselves up. And we're always saying, oh God, (laughs) even you can't love me, someone like me. Nobody can love someone like me. And that's not spiritually childlike either. And so Lord, teach us what it means that the blood of Jesus pays our debt. It ransoms us from slavery and cleanses us from all sin. And we ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Will you please stand if you're able as we proclaim our dependence but also the goodness of God. Day by day, day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all Mingling toil with peace and rest. 
reminder that um, you know, we gave you a welcome card. We're not going to do that every week, but if you'd like to sign up for uh, the pizza with the pastors next Sunday after church, if you haven't been before, we'd love to have you and host you for that, but we need to know how many are coming. Also, if you're interested in signing up to work with our kids, uh, you can note that on there, and then any prayer request that you have. So, Now may the God of peace equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever.